The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, North London or Manchester? Which crosstown rivalry is best? Hornet managers and houseflies, which last longer? We round up all the big stories and the big games ahead this weekend as the Premier League returns from the Derbies to Deserbies. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show. Twenty ninth of September, listener. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm here with uh, Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. Don Fifield. Good morning, James. Yeah. All right, Laurie Whitwell, who just as we were rolling up to say hello to him, put a mouthful of cereal into his mouth. Laurie, what what are you eating? Um, I'm eating special K with a bit of milk. All right. Well, I mean, that's a good choice. If you were going to kind of. If you were going to take a dump all over kind of broadcasting etiquette with a bowl of cereal, <laughs> I thought I had time. You, you suddenly whipped up the pace. <laughs> well, yeah, listener, this is the third attempt we've had at, at starting this one, but each time stuff gets mentioned that cannot Kellogg be mentioned. Start, I think you'll find. Yeah. yeah, the last one involved Laurie revealing that he's been he's done time for gun crime, <laughs> and I'm not even kidding, Laurie. You're not kidding now. Um, I don't know three hours in a cell. Uh, whilst I've been arrested, uh, it counts as doing time. But yeah, that that happened when I was eighteen. It was a toy gun. I was dressed as Woody from Toy Story, not at the actual right. time. But it's a whole thing that would take the whole podcast to explain. Uh, but yeah, there we go. Hmm. <laughs> well, teaser. We can't reach your back either to pull the cord. So that is little nice. Woody, little Woody aside <laughs> there for you. Yeah, nice Woody aside. Yeah. Um, good. It's a big weekend ahead. He said. Uh, For some, it's going to be the first Premier League action for a month, which is going to be interesting to see how that affects teams and that. Uh, There's a full fixture list as well for the first time what feels like ages. And, of course, there's also some big results midweek that we should maybe touch on before we get on to the the return of club football. For example, Scotland, Tuesday night in a a rainy crack of a depleted side for Steve Clark holding on to that nil-nil draw against Ukraine. Uh, and winning promotion to Nations League A in the process, leapfrogging England and Wales. Steve Clark's side also qualifying for the Euro 2024 playoffs if they need that. They've now got that kind of wild card in their back pocket. Congratulations to the Scots, eh, Dom? Yes, yeah, superb performance. Amazing, really, considering the number of players they'd lost to injury and illness. Um, they had a patched up back line, or, but... but young players coming in and, and excelling and, and it wasn't a complete back to the wall performance. They actually, you know, they played quite bravely. They played a high line. They were organised, disciplined and uh, created a few chances themselves. So in the end, thoroughly well deserved. And it is an incredible turnaround considering, you know, the disappointment of missing out to, on, on in the qualification for the World Cup to the same opponents in the, what was it, the semi-final of the playoffs last, last year. Um, so... Was it last year or was it earlier this year? Earlier this year. It was earlier this year, wasn't it? Yeah, Mm. just a fantastic turnaround. And and, uh, yeah, it's great to have some uh, British involvement in pot A of the (laughs) Nations League. (laughs) League A, yeah. Also in the Nations League, in Braga, a late Alvaro Morata goal, with just two minutes on the clock, gave Spain the victory they needed to beat Portugal and reach the Nations League finals. They'll be there next summer alongside Italy, Croatia and Netherlands. Lots of debate post that game in Portugal about the future of Cristiano Ronaldo. Hmm. Maybe talk about that later on. Shout out to Brazil, who continued their uh, very impressive form with a 5-1 win over Tunisia. Oh, some of the goals in that. Some of the goals in that. Well worth checking out. And also, uh, Iran soccer team. We were talking about them uh, with Bazal McDaddy last Monday. They then had a 1-1 draw with Senegal. I think the thing that a lot of people have uh, commented on is is the fact that the, the players actively taking part in the protests that have been raging back in Iran over the uh, the death in custody of Maza Amini. Uh, when the national anthems were played, they donned black jackets to cover up the Iran emblems on their jerseys as, as their way of uh, expressing their support for the, the protests. Brave stuff. Iran's next opponents, of course, will be in their debut game at the World Cup, and that'll be 
England. We talked about on Tuesday with Raphael Honigstein their 3-3 draw against Germany. But Duncan, you were there. Did you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I was there. It was, um, yeah, pretty low-key match first half. You know, lots of goals second half. It would have been England's first uh, home win from 2-0 down since April 1920, which is quite mm. a long time. Um, but it is also their longest winless run, because obviously it ended as a draw, going into a major tournament ever. So I think all the concerns... Yeah, you can look at the last 20 minutes and say it was imp- improved, but I think um, you know Nick Pope didn't have a didn't have a great game. Obviously, he probably won't be playing, but you know Harry Maguire also didn't, and he possibly will. So, yeah, mm. it seems like once again we're going into a tournament where certain players are, are kind of undroppable, which hasn't always helped England in the past. Hmm. Indeed, Harry Maguire's got a big game coming up this weekend. He said, segueing smoothly into the fixture list for round eight of the Premier League, which looks like this. Let's see, Saturday, October kicks off with the North London derby. League leaders Arsenal hosting Spurs, who could, with the win, make a rare appearance themselves on top of the table. At three o'clock on Saturday, you've got Bournemouth, Brentford, Palace, Chelsea, Fulham, Newcastle and Saints Everton. And Brighton's new boss debuts away at Anfield. That evening, there's West Ham Wolves, which is 18th against 17th. Sunday, the Manchester derby. Oof. That's at 2 o'clock, and that's followed by Leeds, Aston Villa. And then Monday, the actual bottom two. Leicester take on Forest in the look at us, who'd have thought we'd still be here, not me, manager derby. <laughs> Let's get your sizzling pre-game talks on all of that, starting maybe in North London? This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Halfway through the first half, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium... That was the sound of far away last May, everybody, when Arsenal and Spurs met at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, battling for the last Champions League spot back then. It was Spurs that took it with a 3-0 victory, two goals from Kane, as per usual. Son uh, with the other one. This time they meet with top spot on the line, as well as North London Pride, and with both sides coming in off whopping wins before the break. Arsenal, you remember, had that 3-0 at Brentford and then a convincing victory in the social media as well. Spurs, meantime, did Leicester 6-2. Ooh, all right. What's your feeling this time around, folks? It's actually a really difficult one to call, I think. I mean, I think Arsenal have been playing better, but they're kind of giving up better chances than Spurs are. Spurs aren't playing well, but they're defensively possibly the best team in the league so far in terms of actual defending rather than necessarily goals conceded. If Spurs win, they'll replace Arsenal at the top of the table, um, which is the first time that will have ever happened in, in top flight history. So, so yeah, it's both, you know, Spurs unbeaten, Arsenal top. You can't even say the team that takes the lead is, is going to be in a pole position because this team's, this fixture's had more comeback wins than any other in, in Premier League history. So, yeah, I think we just have to kind of tune in almost and, and see what happens. But um, I think you, you would make Arsenal favourites. They've only lost one of their last 29 home games against Spurs in, in the Premier League. So, yeah, I think you'd make Arsenal narrow favourites, but but Spurs showed last time out that they don't even have to play that well and they can score a lot of goals. Right. Remarkable stat about Arsenal's record at home to Spurs. It's been over eight years since uh, either away side won a North London derby in the Premier League. In- incredible though, Duncan. So basically Arsenal have never been replaced by Spurs at the top of any English first division. How often have Spurs been top of, say, the Premier League? Well, if we look at, let's take Manchester United, who are unsurprisingly top, uh, 2,362 days, then Chelsea on 1590, then Man City on 1042, and Arsenal just behind on 1030, so they could overtake City in a few weeks if it carries on. Spurs uh, are down on 72 days, uh, which is 57 fewer than Norwich City. So Tottenham fans waking up (laughs) and checking C-Fax and or the internet to see if their team's still top. Hasn't actually happened that, that often. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, just to, I mean, uh, you were saying that they've been top of the table in the Premier League 57 days less than Norwich City. 1993. There was that great game, wasn't there? United went to Carrow Road and, and won, I think, 3-1 in the end. And when I think that maybe took Norwich off the top or something like that. But that was, yeah, so Norwich, 50-odd more than Spurs. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. 
Incredible. In terms of lineup going into this game, Sun, who signed off before the international break, coming off the bench for a memorable hat trick, and then scored a couple of times for South Korea over the past week. Richarlison, my word, his form for Brazil has been uh, extraordinary. Richarlison obviously had had his own issue in mid- midweek, which we didn't mention in the in the first section, but mm. you know, the banana being thrown at him in in Paris. Um, so he's that's fairly traumatic, and he, but he, yeah, his form on the pitch has been has been superb, and you just wonder whether he might. I don't know. It seems maybe it's maybe it's daft to suggest that an incident like that might spur him on, but I mean, it's he has been excellent when picked, but for a game like this where you know Arsenal are sort of their their their, their revival this season has really been based on having the ball further up the pitch and and. And, and and pinning teams back, you'd imagine that Spurs will will play on the counter. In which case, it would be perfect for Son to come in and 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 sort of revive the uh, the combination with Harry Kane that worked, that's worked so well in recent years. Basically, they've had to flog Kane and Son to death, and now they've got Kulusevski and Richarlison, who are both you know proper Premier League forwards that can score goals, do different things. I mean, I suppose Richarlison brings you that aerial threat. I know Harry Kane can can score with his head, but he's more authoritative in the air, isn't he, Richarlison? So, as Dom has touched on there, I think you kind of want to put Richarlison back out on the pitch, you know, after that incident in Paris, you know, just, you know, horrendous. And I think he seems like someone that will tackle that kind of stuff head on. He came out, didn't he, with the social media post. Um, you know, he's, he's a strong character, it seems like, so getting back out on the pitch. Yeah, is he not also the kind of, the kind of character you want in a derby, the kind of player who's going to get under other people's skins and that? He was particularly good in Merseyside derbies at winding up Liverpool players and, and <laughs> commentators and fans. So uh, I'm sure he'll take to the North London derby, which, you know, arguably is even more volatile than the Merseyside derby on the pitch sometimes. So, uh, mm. But I guess going back to the point, it shows how far these teams have come. As Laurie was saying, you know, Spurs have got an embarrassment of riches now to choose from. You know, Arsenal have got a settled team with a focal point up front. Um, that hasn't been the case recently. So, I mean, these are the two sort of the teams on the rise in the Premier League. If you look at, you know, Chelsea and Liverpool sort of fading a bit this season. Um, so it's a it's a massive fixture to come back to. I think it's really going to set the tone for the for this kind of really busy period heading heading towards the World Cup. Richarlison, with some talking to do perhaps on the pitch. I mean, it is extraordinary in 2022 that people are still lobbing food stuff as some kind of pithy commentary. Uh, but meanwhile. Arsenal's Brazilians didn't even get invited, NFI'd uh, to the Selecao this, this time around. Will that mean they'll be playing with an extra edge, do you think? Gabriel Jesus, Gabriel Martinelli? Or will they be extra rested? Do you think that the the travelling that players will have done in this international window probably should be taken into account? And, and it may work in Arsenal's favour that those guys haven't haven't had much involvement at all. They've been able to train back at Colney. Um, I know Richarlison's obviously only been in Paris, but but it it, it does have an impact, and and th- those those players, the, the players like Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus, will be will be painfully aware now that this next how many six seven week period is is when they can stake their final claim for a place at the World Cup, and they they need to just fly into this period displaying their best form, and and, and that should work in the club's favour, you'd imagine. Mm. Wow. Just going to have to tune in and find out what happens, as Duncan suggests. It's 12.30 on Saturday that Arsenal, a point above Spurs and Man City, who of course will be in action on Sunday. Four-point gap between Man City and Spurs down to Brighton in fourth. Brighton, of course, welcoming a new manager this weekend. Man United in fifth are six points off the top. Chelsea are eight points off the top. Liverpool a full nine points behind. We'll be talking about those teams and loads more preview stuff shortly. Next, we'll have a special on this day. This is Ian Irving, host of Talk of the Devils, the podcast dedicated to Manchester United from The Athletic. After what's felt like an eternity without Premier League football, it's back with a bang for United this weekend with the Manchester derby taking top billing. Join myself, Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker every week, but particularly this week as we build up to what's probably the toughest test yet of United's newfound optimism under Eric Ten Hag. Just search for Talk of the Devils wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to click follow and subscribe 
for access to all our episodes. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. 29th of September, as I think we established earlier. On this day, in 2007, Duncan, what happened? Uh, the highest scoring Premier League game of all time. Portsmouth 7, Reading 4. We could have double figures here this afternoon in terms of goals. Absolutely amazing. Muntari. No mistake. Terrific penalty. Reading, quite simply, have been taken apart. Woof. Amazing. 11 goals, I make that. And Reading yeah. missed a penalty. And it was only 2-1 at half-time. What a rare game. What a rare game that was at Fratton Park. It, it also, I believe I'm right in saying, uh, shares the record for the, the, the most number of different goal scorers in a single Premier League match. That's true. Up there with, um, quite neatly, the uh, North London derby, the 5-4 the when Arsenal won at, at White Hart Lane. That had nine different scorers, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Share it nice. out. That season, Pompey went on to win the FA Cup. Reading went on to be relegated. Crikey. Which fixture this weekend, Dom, do you think has the best chance of breaking that 11-goal record? Hmm? West Ham Wolves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon they'll get to 7-4 and four by May, yeah. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, seven games into the season, these two teams have each managed only three goals so far. Hmm. But are playing in a particularly delicate-looking fixture. Uh, residing as they both do within the bottom four. I was going to maybe proffer Liverpool-Brighton as an option. I know that Brighton have only lost two of the last 15 Premier League games and their new manager, Roberto Di Zerbi, is inheriting the best defence in the Premier League so far this season. They've only conceded five times. But I just wonder, it's quite a way to start your your tenure in a new league, away at Anfield, against a Liverpool side that's had a bit of time off, a lot of them away on international duty, but still, that's desperate for points, nine points back off the top of the table, that wants to relaunch, that's got, crucially, Diogo Jota and Thiago back. Hmm, what do you think? Ooh, a Liverpool side that also put nine goals past the opposition last time they faced a team from the South Coast that begins with B. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> Trent will be rested as well, so there's that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the opposite of a new manager bounces, but when your manager gets poached by a bigger club, mm. um, maybe there's a a lost manager non-bounce. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's whether, I guess, De Zerbi sort of sticks with, with what you know Brighton have been doing or whether he's tried to sort of change it at all in, in his short time there. But um, I think this break has been probably particularly helpful for Chelsea and Liverpool. So um, I think Liverpool probably have used this as a, as a time to reset. Um, and obviously their last game was a month ago in the Premier League. They drew 0-0 at Everton. Yes, it was two drop points, but they did they played OK and they created a lot of chances. That's the game with the most shots um, in it in the Premier League this season. So I think they're possibly playing slightly better than the, the results have shown. So, um, so yeah, probably a, it could be, a, could be a bad afternoon for Brighton or, you know, maybe it'll be a, another troubled day for Liverpool. But they are on that long and beaten run, Anfield. This might be the perfect time for Brighton to change manager in, in as much as at this stage last season, after six games, they had exactly the same number of points, 13, and they didn't win again until Boxing Day. So actually, they just, they just nipped it in the bud. All right, they're, Mr Palace, calm down. down. <laughs> <laughs> Great stat though, Dom. Hmm, interesting. They got that early thrust from the Graham Potter booster rocket, as it were, and now they're switching on to the next stage as they climb over a highway. I don't know. What do you think, Laurie? Well, I'm just thinking, are you suggesting it's, you know, obviously they did that with Chris Hewton, didn't they? they? They took decisive action when, you know, they were staying up and everyone thought, this is fine, this is Brighton's level. And then they thought, no, actually, we can aspire to higher, get Graham Potter in. So, so you're suggesting that Roberto De Zerbi is going to take Brighton into the Champions League places, Don? They're in the Champions League places. They're, they're, just, the you know, they're actually pushing for the Keep title Keep them there. <laughs> it's fascinating to see how he does, though. I mean, it, that's, that, that is a... Because that squad has been obviously moulded over a period of time by Graham Potter to be a Graham Potter team. So 
Um, you know, Deserby's got to come in and, you know, with no benefit of a transfer window for a, for a while yet, with a major international tournament to take place before he can actually get into the market and, and change things if he wants to. And let's see how he does. But it's a, yeah, it's a difficult ask. And I think their, their run of fixtures now actually is a lot trickier than the ones they had already. Every Premier League manager who started their career with an away game at Anfield has lost. So is that not right? that surprising, maybe. Uh, it goes David hmm. Pleat, the legendary Chris Hutchings, Ronald Koeman, Daniel Farker and Marcelo Bielsa. So, I mean, obviously Bielsa was, uh, it was after promotion, but, and Farker. But yeah, it's a difficult, it's a hashtag difficult place to start your Premier League managerial <laughs> career. That's mm. a long hashtag, um, Duncan. <laughs> It is quite long, yeah. That's why I hashtagged it, just crunch up a bit, yeah. Not sure that'll trend. <laughs> Don, what is a hashtag Graham Potter team? And is Chelsea one of those? I, I think it is, to be honest. A Graham Potter team I, I, I would have at the moment is a, a team that play fantastic possession, slick possession football up until the final third and then don't take their chances, which is pretty much what Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea was for a Maybe not with the, maybe not always that attractive to watch at times. Um, but when their when their wing backs were flying, they, they looked a good attacking fluid side. Um, I, it's it's that that to me is intriguing as well. Yeah, I mean Graham Potter fits this mould, but he's got to then kick it on and take it on to, to the next level with 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 players that actually take the chances and and provide proper reward for all the you know the nice possession play and the build up. Um, and I think it's, although he's had this international window and, and indeed the previous weekend when I think Chelsea actually played a behind closed doors game against Brighton just to, so he could familiarise himself with with uh, the players he's inherited. Um, this isn't easy because he's had so many away. I mean, so many players won't have returned to, to Cobham until Tuesday, Wednesday, perhaps even Thursday this week. Um, so for him to... To get his ideas across early is, yeah, it's tricky. It's it's going to take an awful lot of team you, meetings and explaining what he wants from them. Do you think he's the sort of manager, or is he kind of brave enough to kind of go, well, I've had these players for the international break. I'm going to use these in this game, or more of them. Um, I mean, that would be a big call. I just, I, I don't know how you would be able to do that when you look at the numbers that have actually been away. It's, it's not as if he's. He's had you know loads to work with. It's you know even even like people like Conor Gallagher have been off with the twenty ones and haven't been around. So it's that's probably asking too much. But what he has got obviously is when he went in at Brighton, he he inherited a a team that had been playing Chris Hewton style football for a while and had done it very very well and pragmatically, and they stayed in the Premier League for two seasons. Um, and maybe the the players that he inherited weren't able to to grasp immediately the concepts that he was trying to impress upon them. He comes in at Chelsea and he's got better quality of player who, who, as we've just said, have been playing something similar to his style um, over the last couple of years um, with, with Tuchel. So maybe they adapt quicker. You know, they take those new ideas on board quicker. Maybe they can do that in team meetings. Um, even in hot- you know, if they're meeting up in the hotel prior to the game at Celeste Park on, on you know, Friday night, they, he can get his ideas across in those meetings as well. And we, we've been told lots that his, his greatest skill is communication and he'll, he'll have to lean on that quite a lot, I'd imagine. All right, Sahas Park, three o'clock is where he makes his Premier League debuts. Chelsea manager Chelsea have won the last 10 meetings in all competitions with Palace. Most recently, the FA Cup semi-final. What kind of Palace will his Chelsea be up against this time? They haven't played in a month, Dom. How's that going to leave them? We'd like to think that given how disrupted Palace's pre-season was with two squads on different sides of the world playing tournaments um they would have used the last month as a as a second pre-season sort of bonus bonus time and they, they've only had four or five players away in international duty albeit they're better ones um so hopefully Patrick Vieira and, and Ocean Roberts will have got their ideas across and we'll see something something more akin to the Palace of last season in, the, in this run of games so again they've gone from the hardest start in the Premier League on, on paper to, to They've now got the easiest run of all the teams up until the World Cup. So, apart from the Chelsea game, which apart beyond the well, it's including the Chelsea game at the moment because Chelsea are a mid-table team at the moment. But but you know, I mean, it's it's the the games the games beyond. It's their record against Chelsea is appalling, and um, (laughs) it's a daunting game for them. But you'd like to think over the weeks ahead that they would 
they would improve and start taking mm. some of the chances they're creating. You're going along on Saturday, Dom? Yes, I am. I'm covering it from the Palace point of view. Magnificent. All right. Very good. Also this weekend, you've got the bottom four facing each other. Last place, Leicester, and next to last, Nottingham Forest on Monday. And the almost winless West Ham and Wolves, Saturday, 5.30. Joint lower scorers in the Premier League this season, as Dom was mentioning before. Wolves just one win in their last 14 Premier League matches, but a possible debut here for Diego Costa. Is that the most interesting thing about this game for a neutral? Got to be, hasn't it? Diego Costa back in the Premier League. I mean, Don will have covered him at Chelsea. And the, were you there when he set the fire extinguisher off? Or, yeah, um, I was. Yeah, yeah, in the room. Great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you get sprayed. <laughs> he tried to set it off. He didn't actually set it off. It oh, has okay. to be said, right. but, Quite but difficult let's, to let's, set let's, them let's off, actually. They, it's harder than it looks. Bit of, back, <laughs> bit of background here. Oh, they, they'd won the title at West Brom and uh, Antonio Conte was conducting various press conferences post-match and Diego Costa wanted to get on with the celebrations. So he and David Luiz appeared um, at the back of the room in, in the, I think it was a Sunday's huddle that were the Sunday newspapers were, were, were talking to Antonio Conte. It was a Friday night game. And he was so frustrated, having sort of jumped up and around and sung songs for a while, he, he just he grabbed a fire extinguisher and was threatening to let it off. In, in the room to disperse the crowd, let's put it like that. He was quelled. Quite useful because at, at Molyneux, although it's at West Ham, isn't it? But at Molyneux, they often set those big flamethrowers up before the game, don't they? So he, if he's adept <laughs> right. with the extinguisher, maybe if anything goes wrong, and it has actually at Molyneux. Safety officer, so yeah. There's been a firework. That but we've, we've just proved that he's not adept. He's useless. Okay, right. good point. Uh, right. So hopefully he's better at scoring goals. <laughs> Neither of these teams are hashtag on fire either, as we mentioned with the dismal <laughs> runs and both down at the bottom end. So could be a gruelling match, that, but a crucial one. We're heading to October. Hmm. We're heading to October and both these teams have scored fewer goals than Alexis McAllister in the Premier League this season, which I didn't have down at the start of the year. I mean, they're both underperforming their XG by a considerable amount. You know, they're the two teams that are doing it the most. So the tools are there, but... They both need to uh, to cut loose and set off some fire extinguishers, metaphorically. Yep. Or, or however. Leicester against Nottingham Forest on Monday night with both Steve Cooper and Brendan Rodgers in place as managers, very much against the pre-international break expectations. Uh, the Foxes are the only Premier League side yet to win this season. Forest, meanwhile, have three Midland derbies in a row, starting with this one here. Mm. I suppose that you could say that's a derby where <laughs> Leicester have signed nobody and, and Nottingham Forest have signed a whole squad, haven't they? Um, Ooh, so, nice, yeah. You know, Brendan Rodgers might be looking a little bit enviously. He certainly, I was at the game at the King Power and his stuff after the game was really strong, I felt, on sort of almost end of days kind of talk where he was saying about the players not being, you know, really good enough and so Unchu got a bit of a, a battering from him and it kind of reminded me of you know Jose Mourinho in that press conference room when he accused his Chelsea players of betrayal. Um it wasn't quite as strong as that obviously, but you know, there's there's certain simmering anyway that's that's going on. So it will be a really interesting game. I mean if if they can get a win there that might kind of spark something. But both managers, both teams really need a, a win. Mm. Three more of those uh, Saturday three o'clock games. Fulham taking on Newcastle. Bournemouth, Brentford and Saints, Everton. Hmm. Oh, Bournemouth, Brentford is the first ever top division meeting between these two clubs. How about that? It's the most any two teams have played uh, before their first ever top flight game. They've had 102 games between each other. I mean, you know, I can say this as a Wickham fan, but Bournemouth, Brentford in the Premier League is, you know... It's haunting for me to think what could be, because um, that's that's League One all over, isn't it? But um, but yeah, I would Tony be fresh. That's true. That is very very true. Ryan Christie returning after his excellent work with Scotland scored and assisted against Republic of Ireland. Kenny says some recognition for Premier League Scots who smashed this international break would be lovely. Indeed, Kenny. Indeed. Well, Bournemouth had a 1-1 draw at Newcastle last time. They are only one point behind Brentford. How about They're that? unbeaten since they lost 9-0. It could be the new new thing for teams to sort their form out. Lose 9-0 mm. and then buckle up. Right. Well, it was, okay. of, of the teams that have lost 9-0 mm. in, the, in the top flight, I'm thinking, yeah, Southampton twice. Ips, mm. Ipswich went down, didn't they, the, the season They did they go down, yeah. But Wigan didn't Palace when didn't they lost 9-1 at Spurs. 
Yeah, yeah. Palace didn't. Yeah. Oh. Just so it's in good omen, Dom. Lose 9-0, stay Lose alive. Lose 9-0. Unless you're Ipswich. Concede 9, you'll be fine. Concede 8, <laughs> it's not so great. There you go. Get on a tea towel. In other news from those 3 o'clock kickoffs, listener, the big Mitrovic-Isaac-Alexander battle, probably off. Isaac picked up a leg injury on international duty with Sweden. It's Isaac, isn't it? I'm calling him Isaac. It's mm. Isaac. Isaac then. Mitrovic, meanwhile, he's looking to add to his tally of six Premier League goals already this season. As many, I think I'm right in saying, Dom, as Wolves and West Ham have managed combined. <laughs> That's remarkable, isn't it? Saints-Everton. Everton are on a six-game unbeaten run in all competitions. Will it be seven after this one? And this visit to St Mary's. I mean, they all have been bolstered by that that win just before the break. But I, I can't. I don't know. It's so difficult to predict with Southampton. I mean, the very very young team, but wildly unpredictable in terms of the, the level of performance that they, they put in. They were they were awful at Aston Villa. I mean, absolutely wretched. And yet they, you know, you go back a few weeks and they were battering Chelsea um, at, at at St Mary's. So I guess that's what you get when you when you have. Um, well, a lot of young players really thrust together yeah. in, over a transfer window, and then um, they, they're sort of well, they, they could do anything. They could win that game five nil, could lose it's it five nil. It's just they're kind of like adolescently moody. Do you think sometimes just withdraw to their room? And, if if yeah. if Hasenhutl shouted at them, they're like, "Ah, oh, I can't be bothered with this. It's rubbish." But if he's you know giving them some pocket money that morning, they're like, "Come on, let's play everything." Or sugar, we can, do, we can. Or sugar, yeah, or both. They're the El Haribo. They're calling this game. <laughs> yeah. Saints have lost 13 of their last 19 games but often not the ones you were expecting oh you mentioned Villa the other game before we get on to the Manchester Derby is their trip to Leeds that's 4.30 on the Sunday hmm, Leeds and other of those teams playing for the first time in a month along with Brighton and Man United and Palace I guess so yeah they've had a full month to stew over their last result which was I don't know if you remember this a 5-2 defeat against Brentford with Jesse Marsh throwing an epic wobbly on the on the sideline, which means he'll be, actually be banned for this clash. That had been coming, hadn't it, for Jesse Marsh? He could he could have, mm. you know, he was he was pushing the boundaries before that, you know. So it, it was it was a long time coming. Do you think that without his presence on the sideline, d- does it represent a real difference for Leeds prospects in this game? He's always shouting at them, isn't he? He's always he's talking about verticality and. You know, energy and pressing. So that you do feel like there's a, there's a, an element there where do players need that in their ear the whole time? I don't know. It will be interesting to observe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Duncan can do some kind of running stats after mm. the Villa game and see if it drops. You know, without Marsh there or, or something. I don't know if that's uh, in your realm. You, you produce some zinging stats. Yeah, so yeah, far, absolutely. So. I think. He'll be in the stands, won't he? So presumably he'll be on. Just have to shout louder, megaphone. And can he? He can get into the dressing room at half time, can't he? As well. So imagine how much pent up energy he's going to have <laughs> if they if they haven't run quite far enough in that first time. He'll just be it's running funny. round and round the dressing room like a camper. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, what you wouldn't give for a dressing room cam on Sunday afternoon? All right. Well, next up, we've still got the Manchester derby to talk about, and also. If it's stats you're after, we've got some absolute doozies. Hello, listener. Now, how would you like a nice fat slice of the Totally Football Show, but on your bookshelf slash in your bathroom? Well, the good news is the all-new Totally Football book is available to order right now, and it's the place to read the finest football writing about where football is in 2022 from all of your favourites at Team Totally and The Athletic. We've got pieces by Daniel Storey, Carl Anker, Tom Williams and Katie Wyatt. James Horncastle has penned an emotional farewell to Giorgio Chiellini. Rafa Honigstein tells us about the thorny issue of Bayern Munich's relationship with Qatar. Duncan Alexander finds the most statistically average footballer in the Premier League and it's all introduced by our very own James Richardson. There's also a day-by-day diary of last season, a comprehensive on-this-day section and, of course, a big chunk of quiz questions so you can run your very own intertotally with all your friends or by yourself. The Totally Football Book is edited by Nick Miller and it's out on October the 6th, but you can pre-order it now from everywhere that sells books. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship side Watford have sacked Rob Edwards as their manager. Watford, sacking a manager, I know. They've replaced him with Slaven Bilic. Incredible stat, number one. Watford have had more managers in the last five months than Britain has had prime ministers. At the time of recording. At the time. <laughs> fair fair no, point. True. Fair point. <laughs> uh, incredible stat number two, Duncan. Yes, that's uh, since 2012. This is Watford's 17th uh, permanent manager, which is only one fewer than West Ham have had in their entire history. So, different philosophies. Anyone know offhand how long West Ham have been going? 127 years, maybe. <coughs> is that that's right? correct? Yes. <laughs> as formed as what club, Dom? I know oh, why God. Don I, knows I, that. The Ironworks, yeah, I do actually. Yeah. I, I should know that, shouldn't I, thinking about it, having written yeah, about there you go. The Dom's just written, and it, I say just written, but he actually wrote it some time ago, but it's pinned at the top of his Twitter feed, mm. if you're interested. A very, very, very e- excellent and, and uh, educational article mm. uh, about why teams are called what they're called. What was your favourite team name amongst all of that, Dom? Um... I like the ones where you gave up and just said, yeah, it's probably because some other team. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Alexander, because there was another team called Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> Port Vale was Plymouth quite Argyle. Good. Nope, got nothing on this one. It might have been <laughs> fashionable was, that was to adopt a great Scottish one. name. Was it? Yeah, that was that was that was that was weird because it, all the, the the sort of legends around it and how oh it was all because we had uh, uh, the Argyle regiment. <laughs> Based in Plymouth, when it, they weren't, and that does not right. that's not true. Um, but no, no, loads of them. I mean, the Uniteds are quite good, but but all a bit odd. Mm. I look forward to the twenty second century Don Fifield explaining where hashtag United came from. Mm. <laughs> nice. Anyway, we were talking about uh, Watford uh, changing managers. So one hundred and twenty seven years West Ham have been going. And they've only had one more permanent manager in that time than Watford have had in the last decade. That is incredible. Anyway, a lot of Watford fans very unhappy about this. What's different about Rob Edwards getting the boot when it's happened so many other times? It's different because his appointment was supposed to be them going in a different direction, appointing a young British coach who would build for the future. And indeed, some members of the hierarchy at Watford were claiming only a couple of weeks ago that they would stick by him through hell and high water and then they sacked him after 10 games. They didn't say the international break though, did they? So It is quite remarkable. The last seven permanent Watford managers have averaged fewer than 20 games each. Slaven Bilic the next to try his luck. The Hornets have only won three of their last 10 league games, not uncoincidentally, and they currently sit 10th of the championship table, which is not what people was expecting. We're expecting people. They weren't expecting that. Anyway, is let's it, get back to the Premier League. Hmm? Not Not uncoincidentally. My double not negative. Is that trouble? Is yeah. it not well, coincidentally? Well, that would be coincidentally. It's not, it, it isn't a coincidence. You're right. It's, yeah. So it's not 
I'm suggesting there might be a connection. Yeah. Tricky that, though, isn't it? Because sometimes the double <laughs> negative, and let's just get back to the Manchester derby, which is nothing negative about that. Two o'clock Sunday afternoon at the Etihad. And Laurie, you're going to be there. You're going to yes. be there to witness the matchup that all the football has been waiting for, Erling Haaland against Harry Maguire. Uh, Harry Maguire you went with, OK. Uh, well, I think he's um, I think he's injured for a start. Uh, he's got no. a tweak, hasn't he? Yeah, unfortunately, we might be deprived of this uh, epic battle of the, the big, large craniums. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, it's it's been Lisandro Martinez anyway and Rafael Varane last right. few games, and they've looked really good together. Uh, and the big thing that United fans are certainly getting excited about is the fact that when Erling Haaland played against Lisandro Martinez, Ajax versus Dortmund, he kept him quiet, apparently. It was a 4-0 win for Ajax, um, although mm. uh, Rafa Honigstein, who you know, knows his uh, onions on these kind of things. Uh, he suggests that actually Haaland had a few chances. I-, I need to go and watch the game and, and see if I can debunk it because uh, that might be kind of a fun match piece to see how they... Yeah, he, know, he, he certainly took the three Erling Haaland chances, which he, he failed to take in that game. But yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Quite a few Ajax elements from that game. Now, of course, at Manchester United, from mm. Ten Hag, the manager, to... Lissandra Martinez, of course, Anthony as well, who was another starter in, he scored that, in that game. 4-0. There you go. There you go. So Erling Holland was shut down by Ajax that time. What do you think, Duncan? Is it going to be another remarkable performance uh, by a Man United team who've actually won four league games in a row? Or are we going to see more of Mick Quinn's record shattered by the marauding <laughs> Norwegian? Poor old Mick Quinn. His legacy's just been eviscerated in front of us. This uh, this fixture has been won 21 times by the away team in Premier League history, which is the most of any fixture, and it's been particularly prevalent in the last kind of decade, really. Um, you know, City playing really well at Old Trafford, but then United digging out really good performances or backs the wall performances at the Etihad. So um, I think it's really interesting because, yeah, OK, City are playing incredibly well in some spells this season, but there have been games where they've dropped points. There have been times where they've not played brilliantly. I mean, even Wolves with 10 men had a good spell against them last time out. Um, and yeah, as Laurie was saying, if, if they can stop Haaland, then, I mean, he can go level for Premier League hat-tricks with Ronaldo in this game if he scores one for the third home game in a row, <laughs> which is decent. But, um, you know, Bournemouth, Bournemouth stopped him scoring, so why can't Manchester United? Interesting. What about Ronaldo, Laurie? Is he going to be featuring in this one at all, apart from kind of moody shots from the sidelines? <laughs> yeah, I think if everyone's available, he's he's on the bench, isn't he? Um, but there's a little bit of a doubt over Marcus Rashford. He uh, hasn't played since that Arsenal game. Wasn't in either of the Europa League games that United have had since that time. Uh, still supposedly a doubt. We'll, we'll hear from Eriksen Haag uh, before the game, obviously. Um, but I think if he's fit, I think he starts again up front. He's in a much better groove than he has been recently. And then Sancho on the left, who's looked really sharp, scored a great goal in Chisinau over in Moldova. And um, and Anthony, he's going to start Anthony because he's paid 100 million euros for him. So mm. um, he needs to make that one work. And then Bruno Fernandes is, is the number 10. So yeah, there's no space for Ronaldo if everyone's fit. And even if Anthony Marshall's back, I mean, he's he's been out for a little while now. I mean, he's, he's only played one game this season, having done pretty well in pre-season where I think Eric Ten Hag got quite excited about what he could potentially do for United even though previous managers had kind of got exasperated with him um, so but I think if he if he's fit he might even feature ahead of Ronaldo um, which is kind of a pretty major fall for him given you know he was you know their key scorer last season you know a number of goals I think 24 was it um, overall. So, um, yeah, but I, th- I think ultimately, as, as Duncan alluded to there, the way that United have won at the Etihad previously has been soaking up the pressure, really, hitting on the counter-attack. It's not, you know, great tactical flourishes necessarily, but it's worked, worked well for them in the past. And, and if you have a front three of, you know, uh, Rashford, Sancho and Anthony with, with Bruno pinging those balls over the top, then I think they've got a, they've got a chance, actually, given City are, you know, they are coughing up some chances aren't they um albeit you know united if they can just if they can keep a clean sheet that would be 
remarkable really because you, you just look at the way that City create chances and the fact that United have been brittle certainly at Brentford but I, I don't know this, this back four they've got now seem like they've got a good unit about them Malassia uh, Dalot you know, continuing his good form obviously scored uh, for Portugal in um, the international break and, and then yeah as I say Varane and Martinez seem to have got a good understanding and, and they've got speed about them so they can make those recovery runs if they do get a bit out of shape uh, Regarding the Ten Hag uh, formation is Sasso Hainer has a proper question. He says uh, Brazil used Fred and Casemiro as a double pivot. Is that feasible or, or desirable for Man United? It's something um, that we haven't actually seen. I mean, Fred's not been in the team. Casemiro's not been starting. It's been Scott McTominay and Christian Eriksen. Christian Eriksen has been a revelation. I think he actually could be mm. really pivotal in this game in that deep midfield role, being able to, when United win it back, you know, hold on to it or, or kind of make those quick passes. He, he, he takes the dangerous route more often than, you know, United's midfield you know, in recent years. Um, and that's unlocked attacks for United, particularly that goal that Anthony scored against um, Arsenal. Uh, but yeah, Fred and Casemiro, I mean, there's that clip that was doing the rounds. It got shared amongst some of us on the Manchester pack uh, of, um, I think Casemiro, I think Casemiro kick, kicks it and it hits Fred in the face for Brazil, like some kind of comedy moment. So, you know, obviously the, the, when he when he signed, everyone was like, this is what he's bringing to Manchester United. Um, but he, he hasn't really featured all that much, Casemiro. And, and I suppose that is a sign that all the other players were very much Ten Hag signings, were very much, this is who I want. Um, Casemiro was a kind of, you know, it's hard to say this about a guy that's won the Champions League five times, but kind of a, a, a piece that they they put in because he became available uh, rather than Ten Hag necessarily actively, this is the guy that I want. He obviously wanted Frankie de Jong. So I think that mm. kind of plays a part in his selections. Dom, how significant do you think this game's going to be in the way the next few months go in the season? Manchester Derby's always always massive, isn't it? I mean, not just locally. I think I think City will, will look at this as an opportunity just... To put United back in their place, almost, and just just to mm. remind them that they've still got a long way to go to catch them up, um, and that that will be their motivation. And for United to bring momentum into the into the the derby is is, is significant as well. And they they will go there believing that they can hurt City. So it's fascinating. It's going to be a it's going to be a brilliant occasion, and and yeah, with with sort of psychological implications for both teams. How much is their momentum, as you say, like four straight wins coming into this, but they haven't actually played since the 4th of September. Can you still have momentum when you've had a month off? I think the momentum will sustain because they've got into a good groove with those four Premier League wins, so it'll be like flicking back into it. And and also it was pretty much that team that played in Moldova. Um, he, he, He played his strongest 11 really so you know I don't think that will be a problem I mean I suppose against Arsenal Liverpool two two really big wins two massive confidence boosters but they did you know Liverpool had a lot of possession in in that game and, and they were a bit blunted so maybe City if they have that same kind of possession they'll make those incisive passes in the final third that Liverpool weren't quite able to do and against Arsenal it could have gone either way until you know United had those quick couple of goals to, to go 3-1 up um, but when it was 1-1 it felt like Arsenal were going to be the one team that would go on and win it. So United, for the run of four wins, there have been moments in those games where it, it was, it's was it been a bit of an knife edge. So if City can get that sort of... I've, I've seen them at the Etihad, particularly last season, where they all of a sudden hit the accelerator and United didn't know what to do, you know, and it was it was 4-1 in the end, but it could have been way more. And if, if they sort of smell blood and they go for it, I, you do wonder if those sort of ghosts of the past for United will resurface. Mm. It's a good point, actually. I, I mentioned they hadn't played since the 4th of September, but that's in the Premier League. In the meantime, there have been a couple of Europa League clashes. The defeat to Real Sociedad and the win away at uh, Sheriff Tiraspol with a goal from uh, big Chris Ronaldo. Mm. Duncan? I mean, we've talked about Haaland, obviously. We've talked about United and, and how well Ericsson's playing, but we haven't mentioned Kevin De Bruyne, who I think is quite funny because he's so good and so consistent. I think people just always take it for granted, but he's leading the, the Premier League this season for assists, for respected assists and chances created. He's got 30 goal involvements in his last 30 starts, so... You know, you can keep Haaland quiet for 90 minutes, but De Bruyne's kind of playing as, as well as he ever has. Um, I think I predicted at the start of the season that he's going to break the uh, the Premier League assist record this season. Obviously, he jointly holds it with, uh, with Thierry Henry uh, for a season. So, yeah, I think United could do it, but City have got so many, so many options that uh, it will be a tough and long 90 minutes. But, yeah, doable. All right. Duncan, though, it sounds like you're predicting 
Man City because De Bruyne. Dom, who and why? Uh, Man City, I think, uh, actually because of Holland. Hmm. Fair enough. And Laurie? I think City will win just because they've they know what they're doing more than United. It's it's an embryonic thing for United, and in those crucial moments, I think that'll prove telling. We shall see then. We shall see. Two o'clock on Sunday, that's happening. Uh, Monday, we'll be back to review all of the weekend's action. Not, of course, the Leicester Forest game, because that's happening Monday night. If you're hungry for top football content in the meantime, mention Dom's excellent piece about uh, football nomenclature. What else have you got up, the Dom, at the moment? What's your freshest uh, I've piece? I've got a piece going up tomorrow, Friday morning on France and their Ooh. preparations for the World Cup, um, which, you know, I, I listened to the pod the other day and Rafa, Rafa talking about how it would be a disgrace if they, they didn't win it. This is actually their worst preparation for a World Cup in terms of results since 1958. And yet they probably still go there as favourites with, with Brazil. So yeah, it's uh, quite interesting dynamics of that with it, with Remarkable. at the moment. Laurie, meanwhile, you're competing for Athletics subscribers' attention with a, with a very exciting international piece which involved you going to Washington looking for Joel. How did that work out for you? Yeah, I didn't find him. Spoiler. Um, I probably should keep that back, shouldn't I, from the, 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 the tweets that I put out and, and sort of see if I can tease more people coming to read it. But no, uh, I did go to his you office. You won't believe reading. what happened when. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I went to his office. I, I was there for a work trip anyway. And uh, so it wasn't necessarily that they sent me out there uh, specifically for that purpose. But I thought whilst I'm here, I'll give it a go. See if I can find the guy that's pretty... Uh, quiet on Manchester United affairs. He says he's going to talk to the fans. He does do these fan advisory boards, uh, but uh, no one, you know, hears what he says in those things. So, and and after the financial results came out last week, where the dividends were still coming out and uh, United made record losses, uh, you know, it's kind of crazy, really, uh, when you think about it. So, what does he think of all that? Uh, so I tried. I went to his office. I even went to his house. Uh, did the old-fashioned journalistic door knock. He wasn't in. Uh, but I did speak to his neighbour, uh, spoke to the receptionist at the office and so got a bit of colour about how he works out there, how he lives out there. I think he's kind of got anonymity really, you know, infamy over in Manchester, anonymity over in Washington DC, which I think is probably how he likes it. Crikey. Well, that and more available at the at theathletic.com. Duncan, what's up on The Analyst right now? Uh, I've got a piece coming today, uh, Thursday, uh, ranking the 12 main derbies in Premier League history. Um, in terms of slightly what? on numbers, well, on numbers, but also more on vibes and how kind of how good they are because everyone knows, uh, you know, an Arsenal Tottenham is possibly better than a than a Chelsea Fulham or or maybe not, but right. we'll see. But the what's the best derby then? Well, at number one, I've gone for Aston Villa against Birmingham, which I I maintain is the best kind of most consistently derby-ish derby we've seen in the Premier League. Obviously, I haven't seen it for a while, but um, nearly every one of their games was was incident-packed. So um, feel free to disagree, but I'm right. OK. <laughs> That's there. <laughs> That's there on theanalyst.com. And if you're curious as to who the most average footballer in the Premier League is, not on vibes, on numbers, then you'll find that within the covers of the Totally Football Book our brand new yearbook from the Totally Football Show. And that is out next week. Mm. All right, then. Excellent. Well, enjoy yourself, whatever it is you spend your weekend doing, listener. We'll be back on Monday. Many thanks to producer Charlie, to Dom, to Laurie, to Duncan, and to you. And we'll see you on the other side of the weekend. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.